This is Edward Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. We had a very interesting speaker today talking about city finances. Actually, we had several speakers. Our guests included Jenny Huang Bennett, who is the CFO for the City of Chicago, and Susie Park, the chief budget officer. Our moderator was City Club Governor Omar Dagestani. In addition to talking about city revenue and the budget of the city of Chicago, the participants in today's program looked at the question of what does the Biden presidential victory mean for the city of Chicago? Well, among other things, we hope for additional federal funding to come to the city of Chicago to help address the deficits that the city is facing. The impact of federal funding, all the participants agreed, is very important to the city's finance budget and the revenue stream. They hope for an increased and rapid stimulus to lessen the pain of the once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. The current budget adopted by the city and city council, where hearings are going on, shows no increase in federal funding over the previous year. So with more funding, this could be a welcome addition to city finances, economic, and recovery for the city of Chicago. We're talking about a $12.8 billion budget. We're talking about the impact of COVID. And the speakers, Jenny Wang Bennett and Susie Park, all address these issues in a very sprightful conversation about city finances, focusing in on equity, integrity, inclusion in the budget, and the cost to the Chicago taxpayers. And while even though there is a projected tax increase, property tax of $56, on a $250,000 evaluation piece of property, the city residents will still get a big bang for this increase in the budget. They point out that the city's tax rate, Chicago, is the lowest in Cook County. And with increased efficiencies, reducing overtime, reducing absenteeism, improved auditing of long-term contracts, some companies have had contracts for 10 years or more. And the city finance director and budget director said these all have to be examined very closely. They're not sure about what the effect of the fair tax amendment defeat will have on the city of Chicago's budget, but they said the state must commit to more local government funds, not only for the city of Chicago, but all of the other municipalities throughout the state of Illinois. Chicago's budget and finance, our program for today. Good morning. My name is Omar Dagestani. I'm a governor with the City Club of Chicago. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us this morning and talk about one of the more important topics that we're all facing in the midst of a century, once in a century global pandemic. City's budget and, uh, you know, relative to COVID that has had an impact on all of us, the city and the city's $12.8 billion budget with a billion to budget gap. Um, Before we go into the session, I want to just take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Uh, Many thanks to Deloitte, Mesro, Ramirez & Company, and Stiefel. I also wanted to thank all of our members. And if if you're not already a member of the City Club, for a $50 uh, membership fee, you too can be an annual member. Um, So I I wanted to just talk a little bit about our session today uh, and who we're joined by. You know, we're we're really lucky to be joined today by Mayor uh, Lori E. Lightfoot. Chief Financial Officer Jenny Bennett, and Budget Director Susie Park. And we're going to be talking about the budget and particularly the billion-two budget gap. Now, consistent with Mayor Lightfoot's uh, core values of equity, integrity, and inclusion, uh, you know, 
Jenny and Susie were kind enough, uh, along with uh, key cabinet officers, to engage over 100,000 Chicagoans to talk about the challenge that we have in front of us. Uh, they also in, uh, elicited responses of over 38,000 residents to talk about how to allocate budget uh, and new budget ideas. Uh, you know, with, with us today, they're going to talk a little bit about some of the new revenue generation ideas, as well as expense and expenditure management ideas that they have uh, that they're putting forward in the budget proposal. Um, you know, when you think of all of these things, though, what's really extraordinary to me is the fact that all of this has been done along with incredible efforts to continue to serve our city and our people and our residents in ways uh, that are so impactful. Uh, and, and we could go through all of those, and we will touch on many of those in just a moment. Uh, but, you know, I think about the $50 million Chicago Connected Initiative that allows Chicago public school students the chance to have Wi-Fi and connectivity uh, and really to be able to access all of the things that they need to during these times. Uh, you think that 24 million meals were provided to Chicagoans who needed them right now. Um, you think of the $10 million restaurant relief fund to help, uh, you know, that as well as many other hard hit businesses. Uh, and I can speak from personal experience relative to the many nonprofits in the city serving our people, um, that the mayor, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, Chief Financial Officer Bennett and uh, Budget Director Susie Park have all been involved in. Uh, I know I work with the Chicago Children's Advocacy Center, uh, and I know the mayor and Jenny were personally involved in helping us uh, meet some of the needs and objectives we have, as I know is true for so many nonprofits throughout the city. And, and so it's with this that I say, you know, we're certainly dealing with a once-in-a-century global pandemic, but it's met with once-in-a-century leadership of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Chief Financial Officer Bennett, and Budget Director Park. With that, I offer you once-in-a-century leadership, Lori E. Lightfoot. Hello, everyone. I'm Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Last month, I announced the city of Chicago's $12.8 billion budget for fiscal year 2021. Getting there required us closing a record-breaking $1.2 billion budget gap created by the historic COVID-19 crisis. This budget was the most challenging in our city's history. As we continue to grapple with the unprecedented financial impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's easy to forget that just last year, our city had to build a budget around another historic gap of over $800 million. Both budgets were incredibly difficult. Both required creativity as well as making some very tough choices. And both instances were guided by the two women you are about to hear from today. Chicago's budget director, Susie Park, and Chicago's chief financial officer, Jenny Wong Bennett. Each brought their own wealth of talent and experience in municipal finances to address not only the practical difficulties that come with putting together these historic budgets, but did so in a way that's consistent with our values of equity, integrity, and inclusion. And that a budget that would spur growth and build wealth for every Chicago community and incorporate the reforms needed to continue our path towards structural balance, which I'm proud to report we are still targeting for 2023. All this has been possible because of the passion and dedication of these two women and the remarkable service to our city's businesses and residents. 
So, without further ado, it is now my great pleasure to introduce to you two key leaders on my team, Chicago's Budget Director, Susie Park, and Chief Financial Officer, Jenny Wong-Bennett. Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. And uh, it's my pleasure to to first introduce Jenny Wong-Bennett, Chief Financial Officer, and she's going to talk uh, about the broad strategic objectives that the city has laid out, uh, as well as some of uh, the budget remarks and address. I'd like to turn it over to Jenny, please. Great. Thank you, Omar. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for inviting us to speak at the City Club today. And of course, thank you to the mayor for her kind words. I've had the pleasure of speaking before the City Club before and in this new new post-COVID setting. And although I miss the ability to see many of the familiar faces at these gatherings, I believe that these virtual gatherings are even more critical for us now while we're social distancing. City Club has always been a place for civic leaders to make sure opinions of the day are heard. And it's even more important now that we continue to gather in that tradition, even if we can't share it over lunch. I'm excited to be here with you to discuss the city's 2021 budget and financial outlook. Before I get started digging into the city's financials, I wanted to take a moment to paint a picture of what the last eight months have been like in city government in the midst of a pandemic, recovery, protests, the return of the pandemic, and the resulting financial challenges. Immediately, the mayor's administration kicked into high gear with the creation of over $205 million in various supports to help with the fallout of COVID. One of the first areas of focus was around small business support. Small businesses employ about half of the city's labor force, and most small businesses have on average two weeks of cash on hand. As a result, the city created the largest small business loan and grant program in the country, larger than the next three largest programs in New York City, L.A., and San Francisco combined. This program has provided 868 loans to small businesses who have been able to keep paying 4,000 employees so far as a result of our efforts. More importantly, the loan loss reserve that has been deployed as a part of this program can be recycled for future loans and will be available to provide lending to small businesses for years to come. In addition, as a result of COVID, Internet access became a critical emergency for over 100,000 students who no longer could access learning except through the Internet. As a part of the creation of this program, and really every COVID-related program, The mayor asked her administration to ensure that we not only create scaffolding to address the near-term COVID issues, but to create permanent infrastructure to help solve longstanding intractable problems of the city. Through thought partnership with Kids for Chicago, as well as the generous donations of 10 philanthropic partners, including Citadel, Crown, and many others, Chicago Connected was born, the country's largest and longest duration internet accessibility program. This program will serve 100,000 students with free high-speed internet for four years, which we believe is the totality of the digital divide among Chicago students. This program has also become a model for internet accessibility programs across the country, including Philadelphia, Miami, the state of Hawaii, and many more. I mentioned these two programs because they are representative of the transformative work that we have accomplished with a little bit of funding from the city and significant investment from civically engaged partners. The purpose of our efforts is not just to respond to COVID, but to set up an infrastructure that will allow us to recover on the other side of COVID even stronger than where we started. We have already seen some of the results of this work in the initial economic research around the Chicago-specific economic recovery. The financial challenges that are caused by COVID are driven by economic loss. To be precise, $886 million of lost revenues in 2020 and $783 million of lost revenues in 2021. 
The most efficient way to recover from this type of economic loss is to support the recovery of the Chicagoland's nearly $700 billion economic engine, an economic engine that is equivalent to the 21st largest national GDP in the, in the world. As a result, we've done extensive research into indicators that tell us how the city of Chicago's recovery could look, but also provide early warning signs of, about areas we need to be aware of and monitor closely. So far, the data looks better than you might expect. The Brookings Institute has an economic recovery indicator, which benchmarks cities across the country. Within their various indicators, the city ranks number one versus other large cities for small businesses open, and number two for work trips across during the pandemic. The city ranks number three in these metrics when looking at changes versus the prior period, in essence, measuring the pace of our recovery. Bank of America has conducted a study of consumer-based credit card spend in 2020 versus 2019, and has monitored this daily since the pandemic began. Chicago is ranked number two to five amongst large cities on a daily basis and has held steady throughout this crisis. The Bank of America study also digs into specific industries and finds that Illinois as a state has ranked number two nationally for spending in restaurants and bars and number one for spending in bricks and mortar retail and furniture. Homebase, a national scheduling and time tracking service, has been tracking key measures of hourly business activity. Chicago leads the nation's largest three cities in all three metrics tracked by Homebase, including volume of employee hours worked, number of businesses open, and number of employees working. On unemployment, Chicago has the largest reduction in unemployment from June to July, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. On the real estate market, we have seen home values increase in Chicago in the midst of COVID. The median price of a home sale in Chicago is 10% higher than August of 2019. For commercial property, although we know there has been a softening, commercial occupancy has remained relatively on par with other large cities. Recently, Chicago has been voted the best big city in the U.S. by Condé Nast Traveler, most notably for the fourth year in a row, which no other city has done. Perhaps most importantly, the city has seen corporate relocations to Chicago continue in the midst of COVID, and in some cases because of COVID. Nielsen Connect recently decided to move its headquarters from New York City to Chicago. Amazon has decided to build a number of last-mile facilities in Chicago. Zara's Pharmaceutical moved to Chicago from San Diego in the midst of COVID. And most importantly, to date, there have been no major corporate relocations out of Chicago. I say all of this not to underestimate the large challenges that we face, and many choices that we must make are going to be painful. There is significant risk that still exists in our path forward, including the second wave of COVID that we're in now, and a threat of a prolonged economic recession on, and, and its impact on our ability to recover. Perhaps most importantly, we know that residents and businesses are still suffering from the impacts of COVID. All the more reason why additional federal stimulus and a widely distributed vaccine is critical to our financial outlook. But cities who face large challenges, but also have inherent qualities to compete and have significant growth potential, are better positioned than those who may have smaller challenges and smaller growth potential. Chicago is clearly in the former, as demonstrated by the early data. We believe that the more we can do to help stimulate this growth, the higher the speed of the economic recovery. This focus on broader stimulus was central to the approach to the fiscal year 2021 budget and the three-year financial plan towards structural balance. In addressing the 2021 budget gap, the mayor has always said that we need to look first towards efficiencies. This was central to the 2020 budget, which included over 500 million in structural solutions, of which 144 million were savings and efficiencies. 
This year's budget includes $168 million in efficiencies, as well as another $262 million in improved financial management. What does that mean? Well, importantly, many of these savings are the fruits of early reform efforts the mayor initiated at the beginning of her administration. Importantly, these efficiencies are structural solutions, which help the city to walk the path towards structural balance. First, I'd like to start off with risk management, an absolutely central solution to the areas of the city where we can constantly see inefficiencies, including settlements and judgments, workers' compensation, and fraud and corruption. This work started during the transition and has already started to reap benefits for us. At the end of the day, risk management is about changing culture and mindset of city of the city to thinking about how our actions can be changed to prevent liability for the city. It's not sexy work, but in, in any major institution, it's the first step in addressing settlements and judgments, which cost the city 130 to 145 million annually. A few key accomplishments in this area include the appointment of the city's first ever chief risk officer, who reports directly to the mayor. The city created a process for conducting a root cause analysis post-incident or litigation. Settlements and judgments occur when risk management has failed, and this root cause analysis allows the city to break that cycle and create the appropriate preventative measures on the front end. The city created a driving training program for police officers, which did not previously exist, and has revised its policies and implemented training on search warrant preparation and execution. Although this work takes time to ultimately be realized in the city's financial performance, we have already started seeing initial results in the 2020 numbers. Early on in the mayor's administration, the city transitioned the workers' compensation program to a third-party administrator, allowing cities to receive the benefit of experienced claims administration personnel. Furthermore, a comprehensive citywide return-to-work transition city program has been rolled out, reducing lost benefit payments by lost time benefit payments by returning our employees to work more quickly. These combined efforts have resulted in 30% fewer incidents being converted to claims in 2020, closure percentage on non-litigated claims increasing from 42% in 2019 to 52% in 2020 year to date, and bolstered claims exposure by adjusting reserves across all claims, nearly tripling the reserves over incurred from 10% to 33%. A little-known part of the mayor's extensive city experience is that she spent a little over a year at the Department of Procurement. Very few people in the city have as much familiarity with the city's procurement procedures, as well as zeal to reform those procedures. The city is long overdue for a comprehensive review of the contracting process. Some of that work has already started in 2020, including a review of over a billion of spend by the city with contracts that are over 10 years old and continuously renewing without a competitive process. This effort has identified a number of contracts uh, and efficiencies. These are just a few of the efficiencies that we've begun the process of implementing. Despite the efforts being made, the city has had to make several hard choices in this budget to address the $1.2 billion gap. As many of you know, the 2021 budget includes a proposal to raise property taxes by $94 million, or $56 for the average $250,000 homeowner. The decision by the city to ask for a property tax increase was not taken lightly. However, in total, we believe that the increase will be fairly modest, especially in light of the challenges we face, and was a critical component for us to be able to define a plan that would walk us to structural balance. To be clear, there are three components to the property tax. $43 million is the result of a lawsuit that the city lost, where the city was found to owe lost in costs in addition to the property tax levy. 
16 million of the levy is a new is new property, which doesn't increase the tax burden to its current owners, but accounts for new residents who share in the property tax burden. And lastly, we have proposed a component which would increase the levy at CPI, which is about 35 million annually. This is good policy. To review, let's take a step back in time. For about three decades, the city did not raise property taxes except for a very small library increase in one year. Then in 2015, the city passed a $543 million property tax increase. The reason why property taxes are so difficult for us to discuss isn't because of the level of the proposed increase. It's because we in Chicagoans have not provided residents with a sense of predictability in the way that we increase those taxes and a way to build the increases into their own financial planning. Also, this practice of increasing based on CPI is common. CPS, Chicago Park District, and Chicago City Colleges all have the ability to benchmark their proposed tax increase to CPI, and a number of cities nationally have similar property tax cap laws too, including Dallas, Houston, and all New York municipalities outside of New York City. As I mentioned earlier, we believe that this increase is moderate, given the significant financial challenges we face even before COVID. The overall increase by the city results in only a $56 increase per year for a homeowner of a $250,000 valued home. Further, the overall tax rate that the city taxpayers face, 6.89% in 2020, is still low relative to historical levels and relative to regional benchmarks. It is the lowest tax rate in Cook County and far lower than the 7.9% that taxpayers faced in 2001. This is still the case when you look at the average tax bill and account for property tax values in 2020. Chicago averages 2,445 to 5,981 versus the northern and southern suburbs, which average 7,537 and 5,814 respectively, according to the Cook County Clerk. The reality is, is that there's very little way for us to address a $1.2 billion budget gap on a $4 billion corporate fund budget without contributions from nearly every solution available to the city. There is also no way to solve a $1.2 billion gap with 100% structural solutions. The result would be long-term damage to certain segments of our economy or flight of our residents. The difficult position, the policy choices in a budget gap of this size become not about which solution, but the balance of solutions that are proposed and how they impact the totality of all of our stakeholders. This budget works to preserve who we are as a city so that we are all there during the recovery and the city can rise up out of the current challenges even stronger. Since the release of the city's budget, we have been affirmed by Fitch and Moody's, despite recent downgrades of other large municipalities in the midst of COVID. These rating affirmations tell us that the city's 2021 budget strikes the right balance in addressing the significant financial challenges created by COVID. The budget does not include an assumption on federal funding. The city has clearly been active in advocating for additional federal funding. More federal stimulus is needed, not just for the city of Chicago, but for cities and states across the country. Further, we hope that with recent events, that federal funding is more likely. However, even if funding does come, as fiduciaries to the city, we have, a plan, have to plan for what we know at this point, which is that the size and scope of that funding is not clear. Additionally, the 2021 budget is constructed so that if federal funding does materialize, we can adjust to avoid certain of the more difficult choices that were made in this budget. Perhaps most importantly, the budget includes 562 million in structural solutions to help with making progress on reducing our out-year gap. These solutions allow us to hold true to our commitment to walking the path towards structural balance. 
With over 500 million in structural solutions executed in 2020 and another 500 million in 2021, I am confident that we will be able to reach our target of structural balance by 2023. The mayor has made clear to us in developing the 2021 budget that she is committed to the North Stars of achieving structural balance and pushing for true reform. We demonstrated that in 2020 and continue to express those values in the 2021 budget. We also know that the fundamentals of the city are strong, which gives me optimism that we have the tools needed to manage our way to recovery. With that, I'll pass the conversation over to Susie, who will continue uh, to discuss the specifics of the city's budget. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny, and good morning, and thank you, Omar and Amanda, for inviting me to be here today. It's a pleasure to join you and the members of the City Club of Chicago to discuss the fiscal year 2021 budget and the steps we've taken to close the largest budget gap in the city's history. Last year, during the first year of Mayor Lightfoot's term, Chicago faced a budget deficit of $838 million, which included the largest one-year increase to the city's pension funds in recent memory. We address this monumental financial challenge by deploying a mix of savings, efficiencies, and long-term structural solutions, while also making significant investments in key areas that reflect our values as a city. The fiscal decisions we made in 2019 began our path to structural balance and long-term financial health. What we did not anticipate and what no one could have prepared for was a worldwide pandemic that would completely change our way of life. Early on, and in the midst of trying to understand the full impact of this pandemic, major cities like Chicago implemented lockdown measures to slow the spread of the coronavirus, ranging from quarantines to temporary business and school closures. While our greatest responsibility continues to be to protect the health and safety of our residents, the economic toll caused by COVID-19 has been devastating, creating a mid-year 2020 budget shortfall of $798.8 million with revenue losses impacting every sector of our economy, including transportation, sales, hotel, and entertainment taxes. As part of our response efforts, the city quickly mobilized every available resource to ensure that all residents, especially those whose struggles were further exposed by the pandemic, had the resources they needed. By leveraging federal CARES Act funding to provide emergency housing relief, funding for homelessness prevention, mental health resources, and supports for our small businesses, we were able to provide assistance for the financial burdens being shouldered by our residents. However, with the virus still spreading throughout the country and no clear sign that the federal government will provide cities and states much needed emergency funding to replace revenues lost to the pandemic, the fiscal devastation caused by the virus has continued to impact our local economy. In August, my office released the 2021 budget forecast that projected a corporate fund gap of $1.2 billion. More than 65% of this gap is comprised of a $783.2 million corporate fund revenue loss due to COVID. This equates to a 17.7% reduction from the 2020 budgeted corporate fund revenues. These revenue losses are consistent with what cities and states across the country are also experiencing. Additionally, another $381.1 million of the 2021 gap represents anticipated growth in our expenses, including personnel, pension, and other expenses that were anticipated prior to COVID-19. 
Given these deep revenue losses and growing legacy liabilities, Chicago was once again facing the largest budget deficit in the city's history. Rather than be daunted by these extraordinary circumstances, we rolled up our sleeves and got to work. Mayor Lightfoot's 2021 budget recommendations presented to the City Council last month is a prudent and responsibly balanced budget totaling $12.8 billion and is comprised of a combination of savings and efficiencies, new revenues, debt refinancing and restructuring, and targeted investments that continue to support our economic recovery while also avoiding placing the burden of gap closure on any one sector of our city. As part of Mayor Lightfoot's commitment to be honest, transparent, and inclusive about the financial challenges that we face as a city, we embarked on a robust public community engagement process that included virtual town hall meetings, community roundtables, and an online survey, along with discussions with many community stakeholders and city council hearings on the city's capital infrastructure, the police budget, as well as on various revenue options. All told, nearly 100,000 residents and community leaders across the city participated in our budget engagement efforts. And what we heard was that despite the constraints of a pandemic budget, it remained vitally important to continue to support key initiatives introduced in 2020. Investments in violence prevention, mental health, affordable housing and homelessness, and supports for our small businesses have become even more essential in the midst of a global pandemic. As we began building the 2021 budget, we looked internally first and worked with all of our department leaders to find efficiencies and reimagine how services could be delivered given fewer available resources. This strategy resulted in departmental reductions for expenses in areas such as professional and technical services, supplies and materials, building services, small equipment, and travel. In addition, each department was tasked with conducting an in-depth analysis on all existing vacancies and positions to identify reductions to their workforce. This exercise resulted in a total reduction of 1,857 positions across all of our funds. The Office of Emergency Management and Communications represents 48% of this reduction, driven by the transfer of the Crossing Guard Program to the Chicago Public Schools to better align functions between the city and our sister agencies. The Chicago Police Department represents 33% of the total reductions, with 614 fewer positions. In addition to the departmental savings in personnel and non-personnel, we will also accomplish this by sweeping aging revenue accounts, improving tax and fee collections from vendors engaged in contracts with the city, enhancing fine enforcement, and improved work around the city's parking meters. We also anticipate $25 million in savings from the new Office of Contract Review and Audit that will focus on auditing and identifying savings across city contracts, and an additional $54 million in healthcare savings derived from a combination of negotiating better rates and working with our union partners. All told, the city identified $537.2 million in savings and efficiencies. This budget also includes a plan to issue $1.7 billion of general obligation and sales tax securitization corporation bonds to refinance outstanding GO and STSC bonds for near-term savings. The refinancing transaction is expected to generate up to $450 million of budgetary relief for the 2020 budget and $501 million of budgetary relief for the 2021 budget. The city is also leveraging $30 million resulting from the full drawdown of our rainy day fund. 
We aggressively analyzed every TIF where funds are not needed for specific projects. As a result, the city will declare a 2021 TIF surplus of $304 million, the largest TIF surplus to date, of which $76 million is the city's portion. This is an increase of, of $33.5 million over the 2021 budget forecast, contributing to closing the gap. Additionally, the 2021 budget includes a 1.75% increase to personal property lease tax applied to non-possessory computer leases of cloud software and cloud infrastructure, a three cent per gallon increase in the vehicle fuel tax, and an additional $10 million in anticipated revenue from the sale of surplus city-owned properties. What's received the most attention from the 2021 budget recommendation is the property tax increase. As Jenny stated, we did not take this decision lightly. We made significant internal cuts to both personnel and non-personal expenses. We found additional efficiencies throughout the city and looked to other revenue sources before considering an increased property tax to close our $1.2 billion gap. However, in order to avoid further layoffs or cuts to critical services, the city is proposing two new modest increases in property tax for the 2021 budget. One to account for the loss of collections or the shortfall created when the full property tax levy is not collected in the budget year and one tied to the consumer price index, which reflects annual inflationary growth. This is consistent with some of the city's fees and services that also use CPI as part of their annual calculations. These two components along with a small increase for new property, which does not increase tax burden for current property owners, totals $93.9 million. As part of our resiliency efforts, I'm most proud of the targeted investments we were able to continue to make in these critical areas, which includes violence prevention, mental health, affordable housing, youth, and our economic recovery, with an additional $18.6 million in corporate fund investments in 2021. Even with a challenging budget that required many painful choices, we made these investments, which build on those already made in 2020, because they are rooted in our shared values of equity and inclusion and exemplify our continued commitment to support our most vulnerable residents, especially now as we strive to make a strong recovery from the impacts of COVID-19. Thank you for inviting Jenny and me to speak to you about our 2021 budget and we will be happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, really appreciated your comments and uh, thoughts here. Um, at this point, we've been receiving a number of great questions from audience participants, uh, and we wanted to go through those. And so I will uh, open it up with a question from Ader Schwartz from Power Realty Partners. And the question is, effectively, what innovation, ideas, or think tank uh, committees are underway to address the city's budget, specifically uh, if taxes and cuts are not an option. So I can start. I know Susie has uh, some additional comments on this. The uh, city has, over the last year and a half, really been working to engage in a number of different reforms to be better stewards of taxpayer dollars and to be more efficient. I mentioned the risk management work that's been ongoing. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into what ultimately is enterprise risk management, um, but changing the culture of city to be more efficient and to reduce liability. Uh, we hear it every year in terms of the significant settlements and judgments that we pay, and how is it that we can prevent those uh, liabilities from occurring in the first place? 
Um, we've made some significant changes as it relates to workers' compensation and how it is that program's administered. Um, just as an example to uh, you know, add on to my comments, for workers' compensation, prior to this administration, we didn't have, when somebody fell or wanted to uh, call in with a claim, a process by which a nurse would answer that call and be able to help work through what those claims might be. The result of that uh, nurse triage program that we implemented is about a 30% reduction in claims overall. So that before they even become claims, before um, we have to uh, you know, pay for what ultimately is time off as well as the claim itself, um, we can help work through some of those situations at the outset. We've done a lot of work by way of procurement and how it is that we are um, reviewing the various contracts that are um, executed across the city and um, being more efficient in that respect. There's a citywide review as it relates to our IT processes and, and strategy around how we can create more efficiencies around upgrading IT and potentially reducing costs to the city for administering the same services that we do now. And so a lot of work is going on in a lot of different places, and that some of that work does take time, but we've already started to see the fruits of our labor, both by way of settlements and judgments, as well as reduced worker compensation claims in other areas of the city as well. Yeah, to add to Jenny's point, you know, we... Um, we are doing a lot of work, you know, also around overtime. You know, we've been talking about that um, since last year, uh, how we're reducing costs and, you know, working with our departments on being more efficient um, around that. We've worked through absenteeism, um, which will continue next year of how, you know, our workforce is using their time. Um, even around procurement, as Jenny talked about, you know, with our new office, we're looking at different savings um, within our contracts, but we're also looking at how some of those savings will create new opportunities um, for new contracts, um, you know, with greater uh, minority and uh, women-owned businesses. So there's a lot of different work going on, um, both to save expenditures um, and to reduce costs, but also, also to create new opportunities. Thank you, Jenny, and thank you, Susie. Really appreciate your, your thoughts on that, uh, and, and certainly a lot of really innovative and uh, thoughtful ideas going into this year's budget. Uh, our next question is from Ann Coulter, um from uh, from her uh, consulting firm, and th the question is is one that's probably on a, has been on my mind is uh, what does the uh, result of the fair tax um, amendment uh, mean for the city? So the state and the city's uh, finances are tied, um, and and we're we're a part of the same state. We are intricately uh, tied to each other. Um, and importantly, uh, we are going to be looking at how it is that the state puts a plan together for um, addressing the fact that we won't have uh, the fair tax to help support the city's budget. Um, we um, would like uh, for the state to remember, you know, that LGDF is um, very important to localities. It's a revenue source that has uh, significantly declined over the years. Um, from as high as 10% now to, um, you know, un just under 6%. And that a lot of municipalities, uh, aside from Chicago, uh, the LGDF and PPRT and property taxes are just about the only sources of revenues available to them. Um, the city of Chicago has other uh, revenue sources, but importantly, we also have a significant reliance on LGDF too. And so as we have these conversations, we'll, um, you know, want to be engaged in how it is that we can find ultimately a um, overall proposal that's comprehensive, that not only supports the state's financials, but also that of localities, and that we make our way through this crisis together. 
Um, as I noted in terms of our approach to our 2021 budget, I would say that approach is very much um, the same for the state overall in that we're going to need all segments of this economy, both local and statewide, to be able to recover as quickly as possible. And so we'll be looking forward to working on some of those solutions. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Really appreciate that. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly that's a question, uh, obviously, touching the city of Chicago. But as you as you mentioned, uh, so many home rule units uh, throughout the state. Um, so appreciate that. Our next one comes from Douglas Smith from Perkins and Will. Um, and as if budgets have to be reduced, what would you consider core responsibilities? Um, specifically, I, I guess if I'm looking through the question, um, you know, how would you allocate scarce resources to be more efficient and effective? What uh, big changes would you anticipate for city expenditures? Um, thank you for that question, Douglas and Omar. Um, so, you know, one of the things we did as we headed into this budget and, you know, starting with core services is, you know, we asked each of our departments to really look at the municipal code. Um, what is it, you know, that the code requires you to do? Um, we prioritized those and we also looked at, you know, project initiatives, um, what were especially essential um, to the department um, that our residents depend on. Um, you know, the other thing that we really talked about this budget cycle is some lessons learned from COVID. And were there better ways that we learned, you know, especially during the shutdown when we were kind of prioritizing essential versus non-essential? Um, you know, what were different ways that we had to provide services given, you know, COVID and some of the restrictions that we had? So there were some lessons learned um, that we were able to reduce costs, you know, things that the city may have been doing on paper for years, um, forever. And, you know, we are moving now to more of a online or, you know, virtual platform um, and, and practices that we hope to adjust from here on out. So there were a lot of those types of discussions um, and really ensuring that essential functions and core services were kept intact um, while, you know, pushing the departments to really find savings and efficiencies within their operations. Um, so you will see that reflected. Um, the savings that we've talked about, both Jenny and I in our, in our uh, statements, reflect some of those savings in our expenditures that we were able to capture uh, due to those exercises. And, and so, Susie, certainly just to follow up to that question, because certainly these have been, you know, challenging uh, conversations to be had. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like some of these efficiencies are things that you might anticipate moving forward into future budgets. Is, yes, is that, is that fair? Yes. Um, You know, things that, you know, like I said, you know, where people had to come in person uh, to do certain different types of services, um, we hope to continue doing those virtually or to give people an option. Um, You know, the mayor, I know in different times we've talked about, like, do people really need to come downtown for certain things? Are there things that we can move to communities or in your neighborhoods? And so a lot of that, I think, has been kind of propelled um, by what we saw during COVID and how we can better uh, provide our services. And I think that will be ongoing from here on out. So absolutely. That's great to hear. And I mean, it's really consistent with uh, the themes of doing more with less and and really reaching out to serve our residents uh, and the city more efficiently, uh, you know, consistent with the the core core values. Um, So thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Susie. Um, Our next question uh, is one uh, that I know a lot of people are talking about in uh, debt circles. This one is from Ed Bachrock from the New Chicago Way. And uh, he asks, Specifically, how, how will uh, savings from a, a debt restructuring that has been uh, featured in the press uh, be calculated? Um, and what uh, accounting authority is used to consider this type of uh, structure or savings? 
So the refinancing proposal that's included in the 2021 budget has two components. It has about a $750 million refinancing for savings. So put simply, it's taking higher costing debt and replacing it with lower costing debt. Um, we believe that the savings from that will be roundly about $100 million. And then when it is that we also need to generate budgetary relief for 2020 and 2021, that would be accomplished through a debt restructuring. And so what that means is that we're taking near-term debt service and repaying that over time. The refinancing for savings and the savings that are generated, we expect will pay for the increased cost of that debt restructuring so that overall it generates a net present value neutral transaction. Um, as it relates to the accounting for it, uh, it is in essence because of it, because it is a debt restructuring and reducing the amount of debt service that we owe in 2021, they are an actual reduction of expenditures to the city, which then ultimately generates the budgetary relief we need for 2021. Thank you, Jenny. Really appreciate that. And uh, certainly, um, I, I, I know there's a lot of good work going on in, in that space uh, to generate economic value for the city, uh, you know, for the long term, as well as for uh, right now. So thank you for that. Um, while, we're, while we're on the topic of uh, debt, uh, James Carter from uh, Academy Securities says, you know, with respect to rating agencies, what are some of the things that uh, you feel that the city is perhaps not getting enough credit or consideration for. Uh, I, I know there's certain things I've thought about, and I imagine things that uh, you've thought about in, in your team. Uh, so we engage pretty regularly with the rating agencies. As of late, it feels uh, you know pretty much on a, on a regular weekly basis um, and have had a lot of constructive dialogue around that. Um, hopefully the affirmation of the ratings from Fitch and Moody's demonstrates that and an understanding and frankly, the transparency of information that we've provided to them, uh, you know, has, dem- has, has been helpful in, in, in allowing us to explain the overall plan for 2021, as well as the financial plan in the out years. Um, and so the conversations have been very helpful and productive. I think that as, I, uh, as we look out onto the city's credit over the course of the next few years, um, the city will um, be embarking on what is really one of the last steps of a multi-step process in climbing its pension ramp. Um, it uh, has made significant strides in the last number of years, including the increased property taxes for um, for pensions, including uh, climbing the uh, actuarial ramp for police and fire last year. Uh, and next year, it plans to do the same for muni laborers, at which point, all four of the city's pension funds will be paying on an actually accrued basis. We believe that that's um, a critical component, as has been evidenced by some of the commentary from the rating agencies, in demonstrating the fact that we have significantly addressed um, our pension issues and are now on a path towards better funding for those pensions. And so as we um, have had those conversations, we'll continue to have those conversations with the rating agencies um, you know, are looking forward to seeing uh, some of that uh, improvement and accomplishment accrue to our benefit. I appreciate that, Jenny, and certainly uh, I, I, I know uh, all of Chicago appreciates uh, having you and in, in, in the Chicago leadership team uh, engaging in those conversations so that we really do get credit for all the good work that's uh, going on and some of the things we're talking about here today. Thank you. Uh, our next question is from Alejandro uh, Ramirez. What are the implications of the COVID-related appraisal adjustments by Cook County, if any? So as it relates to uh, the appraisals that have occurred, that are, are going to occur, I think it's a, it's a little too early to tell exactly what the impact of that will be. 
Um, we know that uh, that uh, the assessor has uh, been in the process of revamping the assessments in Chicago, um, but also eventually as we move through COVID, what are the impacts on um, real estate uh, appraisals and how does that ultimately impact the assessments? Um, I would say that, you know, we at this point haven't seen um, significant signs of um, long-term um, damage to our real estate market, um, in particular on the residential side. There's clearly a softening on the commercial side, as has been the case and challenge for many cities across the country, and we're watching that very closely. Um, but importantly, I think what you know makes all of this um, you know really start to become um, a, a challenge that hopefully you know we can get past is if we see the um, development of a vaccine. Um, as well as um, as well as federal stimulus that helps us to provide um, you know really economic support to all of the industries in Chicago. There's no question that you know not just with real estate but in general our economy is suffering. We're all having a difficult time of you know lost revenues that um, have, that we've experienced. Um, but importantly, if it is that we are able to see that federal stimulus, we can find a, a better, less painful way to to make our way through this. No, for sure. And certainly some uh, good news on the vaccine front as well, which we would uh, expect to track to uh, results for the city uh, and, of course, for the world and for all of us. So we'll keep hoping on that. Um, we have a couple of more questions. Uh, the next one is from Shannon Madden with Crow. What's the biggest opportunity that you see to improve procurement and contracting? And I know that this was discussed a little bit in the remarks, but um, just wanted to put that one out there for us. Um, you know, in my view, I think it's, well, there's a lot of work, you know, that Jenny and I both talked about around that we're doing around procurement, um, you know, reviewing contracts, uh, you know, as Jenny talked about, we, we started with an assessment of how many contracts we have that are older than 10 years, um, to really look at that. We're going to audit, um, a lot of these contracts to see, you know, are we getting the best value? But I think the opportunity, um, that we're talking about is how do we expand opportunities? Um, how do we, um, are there new opportunities that we can put out there, rebid, um, you know, for the cities to get better costs, um, maybe to increase efficiencies and savings, but to also expand our pool of vendors um, to create more opportunities for um, diversity uh, within our, you know, minority and women business owned enterprises. And so, you know, I think that's where we want to go towards um, and what we're working towards in 2021. Th thank you, Susie. I, I really appreciate that. Um, our final question comes from Phil Culpepper, uh, investment banker with Ramirez and Company, and he asks, what is one thing, let it be legislative or administrative change, that the state's General Assembly or Governor's Office could do to help serve the city of Chicago better? So I will reiterate some of the comments I made earlier about LGDF. This is something the mayor has uh, been very vocal about and importantly isn't just a city of Chicago issue, but a statewide issue. Um, as we've seen, um, the percentage that localities receive decline, um, that has created pressures for our finances and ultimately resulted in us having to go to other measures um, that you see in our 2021 budget. And so to the extent that we can find an overall uh, comprehensive plan that really um, you know, addresses the state's issues, but also our own issues as a locality, um, and, and put that whole package together, one that's balanced and comprehensive and that we walk that path together towards a better um, long-term structural balance, um, that's something that would be extraordinarily helpful to us as a city. Fantastic. Thank you, Jenny, and, and thank you, Susie. Um, I, you know, I had, I had one final question uh, for us. 
and um, you know, then just wanted to uh, give people a final opportunity if there's another question. Uh, but my question is, you know, considering there's been all sorts of news this weekend around uh, federal election results, and wanted to ask uh, each of you for your take on what that means for the city and what it means for the city's uh, finances uh, relative to the federal election results, uh, both in the executive branch as well as uh, in, in the Senate. Sure, I could start. Um, obviously, we're we're very hopeful for additional federal funding. Um, you know, there's been conflicting commentary coming out of uh, D.C. as it relates to the likelihood of that happening sooner rather than later. Um, we think that uh, you know, with uh, with uh, President Biden, it'll be more likely that we see um, at least increased pressure for funding for states and municipalities. Um, the uh, impact of federal funding can't be underestimated or understated. We've done modeling around this, which shows um, what our revenue projections look like, both with and without federal funding. And aside from the direct funding that we receive in and of itself, there's also the impact of the broader economic impact, which has hundreds of millions of dollars of impact to our revenue stream. It's over $400 million of improvement to revenues if it is that we um, you know, see federal funding over the period of the whole recovery. And so it's very important, not just in terms of, um, you know, the finances and how we balance this budget, but the long-term trajectory of how painful it is for Chicagoans and, frankly, Americans um, in terms of uh, seeing that federal bill come through. And we know conventional economic wisdom would tell us that this is the time for the federal government to be providing that stimulus to um, lessen the pain of what you described, Omar, as a once-in-a-century pandemic and an economic recession. And so... Um, we're, very, we're very hopeful for additional funding. Um, I would also comment that although um, we would like to see that funding come to fruition, um, it's not certain that we'll see it. And because we don't know yet what the size and scope of that will be, uh, federal funding normally has restrictions that come along with how you can use those funds, um, as well as exactly what the size of that funding is. Um, we've had to craft this budget, assuming no federal funding within it. Um, we have been sensitive to that, and there are critical components of the budget which um, can be amended and, and are flexible to how it is that that federal funding may come through. Um, in particular, on the debt financing side, we are going to um, see that see what happens as it re- relates to the federal landscape before making decisions on executing a re- refinancing. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's just critical for us to really be able to have a budget that we can count on as of January 1st, and then to the extent that federal funding comes through, make adjustments as needed. Um, to, and, and I echo Jenny's point. You know, I think the feeling is hopeful. Um, you know, like Jenny said, we've crafted this budget with kind of the resources that we have before us today. Um, you know, there is uncertainty. We don't know, you know, what form it's going to take, the timing of it, you know, the size of it. Um, but there is hope. Uh, you know, we have crafted this budget in a way to be flexible. We've had lots of conversations of, you know, what could potentially this look like, um, you know, when it comes or if it comes. Um, but so, you know, like a Jenny, I can't underscore the importance of how important this critical this federal funding is um, to us for the city's finances, for our economic recovery, um, and for a variety of other, you know, services that our residents depend on. So we will wait and see. Um, and be hopeful about what's coming. Thank, thank you so much, uh, Director Park and Chief Financial Bennett. Um, you, you, you both, uh, along with uh, obviously Mayor Lightfoot, are, are truly uh, once once in a century leaders uh, meeting a, a once in a century global uh, pandemic. 
And uh, we're, we're so blessed to have you, you at the helm and appreciate you taking the time to speak with us at City Club today. Uh, thank you so much for your comments. I also want to uh, just, again, thank our sponsors, uh, Deloitte, Mesro, Ramirez, and Stiefel for taking the time to sponsor events like this so that we can continue to have these type of public uh, policy discussions and get, get the word out um, to all members of the public. For anyone who's interested as an individual to be a member, uh, please come to the City Club website. Uh, we'd love to have you, and we have many good things ahead of us. Uh, until then, again, uh, Chief Financial Officer Bennett and Director Park, we, we thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your participation. In recognition of that, I'm, I'm proud to hold up your honorary City Club mug, uh, which I'd be delighted to deliver, uh, as well as your one-year paid membership to be City Club members. Thank you so much. Great. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, everyone.